Welcome to Pullback. I'm Kyla Hewson, and I'm here with Kristen Pugh. Hello! Trying to be a good person can be overwhelming in our complex global marketplace. In this podcast, we try to make it a little easier by looking at the details behind consumer movements, product labels, and ethical lifestyles. Each episode, we challenge ourselves to try something new in ethical consumption, and then we tell you what we learned, fuck-ups and all. And one day, I'm going to be able to say that without having to read it first. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I think we're going to have to do a lot of episodes before I can do the intro without reading, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. Uh, This episode, we're talking about alcohol. Woo! Alcohol. What's your relationship with alcohol, Kristen? So, I don't know. I like the occasional drink. I think I was more of a drinker in undergrad, as most people are. But now I like all of the trashy sour beers. (laughs) That is uh, where I'm at. How about you? Yeah, I don't drink very much. Usually I'm only drinking when I'm feeling social. Sometimes I'll have like a glass of wine at home. But now that weed is legal in Canada, honestly, <laughs> that is my so much better. substance of choice. Yeah, alcohol makes me feel kind of like nauseous and sick. And if I'm at a party and I have too much, I always wake up the next day and I just am like, who was that? I hate that person <laughs> <laughs> because there's so many things I have to yeah, I feel bad about it the next day. Like, why was I so weird? So, alcohol. Yeah, the moral hangover is a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, alcohol, it's, uh, I mean, it's been around for ages. I think beer is like 4,000 years old or something like that. I don't know which, whether it was the first alcohol or whether it must have been. It feels like the basic one, but I don't, I don't, didn't specifically research that. Why not, Kristen? Because it's the holidays. <laughs> I don't want to work. <laughs> you didn't feel like doing <laughs> the history of beer? Sure. I understand. You're letting the ball drop. I know. Sad. I Actually, the 4,000-year thing I picked up from a game of timelines, so add them if I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the... Okay, so for this episode, we, we promised that we would get sloshed. I think we we made that yes. uh, promise in the last episode. <laughs> I haven't had a sip yet. Cheers, I guess. Do you want to have a sip of uh, whatever you're drinking? And I'll have a sip of whatever I'm drinking? Yes. Cheers. <laughs> How was yours? Mine was very good. What, what are you drinking? I live in a very bougie neighborhood. I think I've mentioned a few times now <laughs> that I live like across the, the street. What, the place with the Whole Foods, Foods across the street? <laughs> <laughs> So you can imagine that the liquor store in my neighborhood is also very bougie. And I went in there and I asked them about like ethical alcohol and like vegan wine and stuff like that. And they actually had a really cool suggestion for me. It's called Arbutus or Arbutus. I honestly don't know, but it's from a local distillery. They describe themselves as a craft distillery. Okay. It's in, uh, it's, it's based in Nanaimo, which is a ferry ride away from me. And I, from their website, they say that they source only 100% BC-grown fermentables and grow many of their own botanicals. So, uh, yeah, it's it's called Blue Gin, and it's really cool. It's It, you, it pours blue, and then when you mix it with citrus or, <laughs> or, or, like, I don't know, something – like, when you mix it with citrus, anyways, it changes color. So it goes from a deep blue to, like, a pink when you put lime in it, for instance. That's so cool. I love it when stuff changes color. I know. I don't know why. There's just something so <laughs> implicitly <laughs> wonderful about that. What about you? What are you drinking? I, mine is kind of boring, actually. Um, so I'm drinking a beer that I've had actually many times in the past. It's uh, 
Alley Cat's Main Squeeze. It's their grapefruit beer. And Alley Cat is, some people call it the grandfather of Alberta's craft uh, beer scene. They're the first, or the longest standing anyway, the one, the oldest one that's still around, uh, craft breweries in Edmonton. So I can talk a little bit more about why this fit into the challenge that we made later, but uh, for now I'll say it's just like a nice, slightly fruity, but like not fruit beer. It's just slightly citrusy. Wait, we made a challenge? Uh, maybe I'm already drunk. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> I thought we were supposed to try to find the most ethical alcohol. Oh, um, I <laughs> did not do that. <laughs> okay, well, uh, <laughs> I hope you did that. Well, I'll report a little bit more on this later. <laughs> I feel like I kind of did it anyways by accident with this like craft distillery local BC gin though. So like I feel pretty good about what I'm drinking. Yeah. And it tastes good? It does. It tastes, it t <laughs> honestly, it's delicious. It's totally worth the $50 or whatever it costs for 750 mils. It was a little pricey, but it was also, it's really good. And you know, you pay more for local ethical stuff, so. Totally. So for this episode, you looked into like clear spirits, right? I tried. Um, as you know, <laughs> okay. I, I've been working a lot this week. And also I had like, for some reason, we had like five hours of audio from our Christmas episode that I am still <laughs> for some reason, combing. No fault of Kristen's. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I cut all of the references of it in the episode. But yeah, we, we, had, we had to record twice because uh, Kristen forgot to turn on her microphone, which is totally fair. I have also done that. But then on the second recording, she <laughs> forgot to do it again. So <laughs> so it just sounds the same. Oh, what a treat. <laughs> oh, man. Professionals. So I did try to look into Clear Spirits, and I did get a couple of uh, cool stats and stuff. Do you want me to go into that now? Sure. So I'm going to start with some fun facts about gin and vodka that I got from a website called www.drinks.ng, which, I don't know, so sounds legit. All of the websites that you cite sound sketchy, <laughs> always. You're the researcher. <laughs> so Okay, so drinks.ng, is that what it is? <laughs> so, and I quote... Linked with roots to 14th century Russia, vodka is a neutral spirit traditionally lacking a distinctive character, aroma, taste, or color. Derived from vada, the Russian word for water, vodka in Russian means little stream. Although when I googled Aww. it, like I went to I went to Google Translate and I typed in um like the translation for vodka, and Google thinks it translates to little water. But either way, pretty close. I've got a question for you. Uh, what is the oh, oh no? What is the weirdest flavored vodka you've ever had? Um, I don't. I don't think I've ever had like a weirdly flavored vodka. I've had like raspberry flavored, which is nice. What about you? Well, I don't know if this is the weirdest, but it's the one that comes up most distinctively in my mind. Uh, is sweet tea vodka, which whoa, that sounds revolting. Is really delightful. Oh, yeah. okay, my bad. <laughs> it's actually really good. It sounds it sounds terrible, but it's really nice. Um, you can make it yourself by basically just like um, you steep orange pico tea in water for a really like a really long time, like a couple of days, and then you 
put it in with some vodka and you add a little bit of like sugar syrup. Or you can get it at your local Walmart if you live in the southern United States. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) It's right near the guns. (laughs) Yeah, and now I have a little bit of information on gin from that same very reliable website. I'll have you know. Uh, Gin is flavored spirit that is produced by redistillation of a high-proof neutral spirit with juniper berries and other flavoring agents. Its origin is traced back to the 17th century in Holland. So basically, it's flavored vodka. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, jokes, juniper, flavored vodka is the weirdest vodka you've ever had. (laughs) It's just gin. (laughs) So not to to lean on gin, even though it's my favorite alcohol, I did grab some notes on some other spirits. This is from uh, dummies.com, and this is from the food and drinks section. (laughs) You're just pranking me now. (laughs) Dummies.com. I will link to it just uh, so everyone can use my wonderful sources as well. So uh, they they give some fun information about other spirits. So rum is distilled from molasses or sugar cane, which isn't great. Um, it's not a perfect crop. All rums start out as totally clear spirits. Some are aged in barrels. Aging turns the rum golden, amber, or very dark, which I think I maybe once upon a time knew, but I, I forgot. I did not know that. Um, maybe maybe all of our listeners knew that, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sake is a clear spirit distilled from rice wine, which I think you probably did know. Yes. I, I, I don't know if rice wine is more or less ethical than, like, wheat spirits I, di- I didn't look into that it probably probably depends it's water usage probably is pretty high oh yeah but <laughs> i don't know tequila <laughs> tequila <laughs> tequila is distilled from the fruit of the blue uh oh i can never say this out loud this is the worst part about recording stuff agave plant i gave agave yeah it's agave yeah yes mm-hmm. like rum all tequila start <laughs> out clear it. but some turn golden or amber with aging those are all of my fun facts. Uh, delightful. Uh, did you nice. want to talk about beer? Yes. So um, I basically looked at what would we want to think about potentially for thinking about ethical beer? Oh, I do have ethical stuff to say about the spirits. I just had like fun facts to open our, our, our conversation. I don't really have any fun facts. Um, I have a fact, but it's not that fun. Let's have it. <laughs> so- so beer is the fifth most consumed beverage in the world behind tea, carbonates, which I assume is like carbonated things, I don't really know, milk and coffee. So average global consumption of beer is 23 liters per person per year. So people drink a lot of beer. Do you drink that much beer? As I told you, this wasn't that fun. No, I don't drink that much beer. Well, may- maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't actually added it up. Uh- <laughs> 23 liters does seem like a lot. But I don't like beer, so I'm skewing that number down. Yeah, I'm not sure because, like, I feel like things always add up to be more than you would think, you know? Like, um, I recently counted how many items of clothing I have in my closet, and it is much more than I would have thought. <laughs> so maybe I do drink 23 liters of beer. I was, like, super judgmental of you when you told me how many items of clothing are in your closet, and then I looked at my own closet and I was like, how dare you, Kyla? <laughs> It's more than you think it is. It is, yeah. And, like, if you count, like, every pair of socks and, like, it adds up quickly. But this is an episode about alcohol, not fast fashion. (laughs) 
<laughs> Sorry, I've derailed this already. Let's talk about beer, Kristen. Tell me about it. Okay. So the first stage of my research was me realizing I do not know anything about what beer is or how it is made. So I had to look into that. So beer, for those of you that do not know, and I'm sure most of our listeners do know this already, um, there are four main ingredients when you're making a beer. So the first one is some kind of grain, and the most usual one is malt barley. Um, Then there's also hops, yeast, and water. So the purpose of hops is basically to offset the sweetness of the malt barley. Um, And it is from the flower of a plant um, that is uh, in the hemp family, actually, which I didn't know. Um, And it grows in a lot of places. And uh, most of the hops that are used in brewing are grown in the United States or Germany. So those are big beer countries, so it's not all that surprising. Barley is sort of like the soul of beer, as many websites told me. Um, and it's <laughs> yeah, it's very reliable websites, I hope. <laughs> yeah. Beer is basically, it's derived from malted grains. Usually you'll use barley, um, but wheat, rye, oats, and sorghum can also be used. However, even when you have like a beer that uses another kind of grain, usually the proportion of like barley is at least 50%. So beer really needs a lot of barley. Um, and, uh, basically malt provides the spectrum of color to the beer and it also like creates a lot of what the taste is that you end up getting the sweetness. Then there's also yeast. So it's the thing that like ferments the beer. Some websites called it the engine of beer. Um, so I guess that's nice. Um, and basically you add yeast to something called the wort, which is basically like the liquid that's extracted from um, part of brewing the the malted uh, barley, um, and then it sort of like ferments and becomes sort of this more mature beer. And then obviously you also need water because it's it's a liquid. <laughs> <laughs> so so far this sounds pretty ethical to me. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it seems kind of neat. So here's where we get a little less ethical. So I looked at who are the major beer producers and, uh, or maybe it's not unethical, I don't know, but the beer industry is basically an oligopoly. So um, there are sort of a few really big, gigantic companies um, around the world that dominate. Um, And the biggest of those is called AB InBev um, or Anheuser-Busch InBev. Um, And it had $55 billion USD in sales last year. So they're pretty big. They control about 30% of the global beer market. So there are a whole bunch of brands under this company, but um, Beck's, Budweiser, Corona, Leff, Stella Artois, um, and like many others um, will be all brands that will be under the biggest company. I looked up a few other companies that are also pretty big. So after AB InBev, there's also Heineken. So they produce Heineken, but also a bunch of other um, brands like Strongbow. Um, Then there's Asahi Group, which is um, a Japanese company, and it produces a few different uh, beers, and it's also a soft drink company. And then Kirin, Molson Coors, Carlsberg Group, and Thai Beverage. And so those are sort of like the big beer companies with the the largest amounts in global sales. And they account for most of the beer that you sell today. 
Um, however, there's been sort of like a move towards craft beer in the last little while. So there's like kind of this weird separation where a large portion of the beer market is these gigantic companies. And then you have a, a rising segment of the market that is these tiny companies. And there's really not a lot happening in between, although some craft breweries are starting to get a little bigger. So it's been this kind of interesting uh, area for to sort of look at because it's so so sort of dynamic. You have these huge companies and you also have this like burgeoning craft beer scene that's basically been brought up by people that like to drink beer and they like to produce it um, as a hobby and then they eventually start selling it. Um, and oftentimes, like if you go into brew pubs in your local city or whatever, um, that's sort of like emblematic of where the market is there. And so these big beer companies are seeing this trend in the market and they're trying to tap into it by buying out craft breweries. And so they're getting into that and also trying to produce like craft craft e-beers. So um, I found actually there's a, a brewery near you that seems like it's a craft brewery, but it's actually owned by Molson Coors and that is Granville Island. Oh, okay. So so just to be clear then, a craft brewery can it, it's only it only it's only technically a craft brewery if it's not owned by a giant like corporation is that the case? Yeah, I mean there are different definitions, but usually um so like the definition of like micro and nano brewery will be limited based on your um like number of employees. And craft beer is a little bit of sort of a more wishy-washy category, but typically when people are referring to a craft beer, they're referring to something that isn't from one of those like five major behemoth multinational corporations. So like in Ontario, you can think about collective arts. It's actually a fairly big brewery, um, but it still sort of is craft beer. But now you've, you've got the like big multinationals that are trying to get into the craft beer scene too, because they recognize that consumers really like it. So they're pre predominantly doing that by buying out craft beer. So Granville Ooh. Island was bought by Molson Coors. Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I found a cool website. It's better if you're American. It doesn't work that well for Canadian beer. But um, if you go to isitbigbeer.com, uh, they have sort of a list where you can see what beer brands, like who owns the major beer brands, and whether your craft beer is actually craft beer. I would like check that out. It's pretty fun. So we're going to be covering sort of like animal welfare and alcohol in the vegetarianism episode that's coming out in early January. Spoiler alert, that's our next episode. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, so instead of looking at that, I looked at um, how you might want to think through environmental issues in beer and how you might want to think through human rights in beer. Although, just to say, I found a lot more on environment than I did on labor. So uh, samesies, yeah. It might be one of those episodes where, yeah, it's just harder to find. I looked at a few different kind of environmental metrics that you might want to think about. So one is water usage, another one's sort of emissions, and then waste. And then after that, I looked at a couple of debates on the environment and alcohol. So I'll talk about those a little bit afterwards. But first, um, so water usage is a big question when it comes to beer production. So the brewing industry is one of the largest industrial users of water. Uh, somewhere between 60 and 180 liters of water can be used to produce a single liter of beer. So this includes the entire life cycle of beer from 
when the barley is farmed through to when your beer is being refrigerated in the store and getting home to you. Um, and so there's actually one estimate that suggests that that virtual water footprint could be as high as 240 liters of water for one liter of beer. Whoa! So that is quite a lot of liquid. Yeah. <laughs> so um, a lot of that is stuff that's happening not at the brewery, but in other stages of the sort of like life cycle of beer. And within the brewery itself, a five to one ratio is pretty common. So to produce one liter of beer, it's pretty common that a brewery will use five liters of water. That's a little bit more reasonable, isn't it? Like, Yeah, yeah. But then barley production takes a lot of water and there's a lot of water to produce the packaging and all that stuff. So it's uh, when you're thinking about virtual water footprint, like that's most of what we're consuming always. Um, and beer is no exception. So um, I found an article that sort of breaks down the sources of water usage in beer into upstream, downstream, and operations. So um, upstream is sort of producing and transporting raw materials. So the big factor there is barley farming, although like you can look at hops and stuff like that as well. And then operations is brewing and bottling or putting the beer into cans, depending on what you're selling it as. And then downstream is transporting and refrigerating the beer. So um, when we're talking about the overall environmental impact, that ends up being huge. Um, not as much for water production, but sort of important to keep in mind. I also read something about how a lot of the carbon footprint, maybe you're about to talk about this, comes from the actual like pubs that people are drinking their beer in. So the power to maintain the building and to keep the fridges running and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. We're maybe sorry if I just stole your thing. Yeah. So that that won't so much affect the I mean, maybe it'll affect the water production in some way, but that's more on sort of like the energy and emission side. For the water impact of beer, you're looking more at sort of like the barley farming, the water that's used to create the glass bottles or the aluminum cans and then the water that's actually used in brewing. But for sure, on emissions impact, which we'll talk about next, where it's being retailed or how you're consuming it makes a big difference too. Um, so another thing to keep in mind, like I feel like people sort of have an instinctive um, distrust of big multinational companies, but it's important to note that there is sort of like this debate, right? Because big breweries are often more water efficient than small breweries. Um, although that's not to say that that's always the case. There are some small breweries that are really conscious about their environmental impact. And so they can be very water efficient. But if you're just taking your average microbrewery versus your average like mega brewery, um, it's more likely that the water efficiency is going to be better in the big brewery. I guess that makes sense, yeah. Yeah, because they're producing so much, you know, they're economies of scale, basically. Mm, yeah, but also big corporations are usually evil. So <laughs> how do you how do you uh, <laughs> consolidate those two things? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're also cheap, though. <laughs> you know? Anyway, um, so yeah, emissions emissions um, on the other hand come from sort of different stages of beer production as well. So. Brewery operations themselves, so actually brewing the beer, um, is typically about 20% of overall emissions. Um, but depending on how efficient the brewery is, it can actually be as low as 5% of the overall emissions. So either way, it's not where most of the emissions are coming from. 
Uh, the sort of biggest chunk of emissions is coming from the production of raw materials, which accounts for somewhere between 47 and 63%, so upwards of half, usually. And then packaging can be another like 19 to 46%, so that's another huge major chunk. But the largest sort of single impact of beer, the beer supply chain is actually refrigeration at retail. So like, if you go into a liquor store and there's the big like beer fridge rooms, that's causing a lot of the um, emissions output of uh, of your beer. But that also can include like the refrigeration at your pub, if that's how you're ingesting it, or the refrigeration um, in your home, if that's how you're storing your beer. So it's kind of interesting, like that the actual brewery itself is sort of a small proportion of the emissions, you know? So to all of the Edmontonians who are storing their beer in the snow outside. <laughs> truly the real... Yeah, it's Canada's the real fridge. Heroes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, barley in particular has sort of a big environmental footprint. Um, and there's actually, you can use unmalted barley. There are sort of new processes that people have come up with where you don't have to malt the barley first. And that can reduce the environmental footprint. Um, another way to reduce the environmental footprint of barley is to use local organic barley. So that's very possible if you're a Canadian brewery because there is a lot of Canadian barley production. So that's kind of nice. Um, and like some major beer producers are trying to get to net zero emissions. Uh, Carlsberg is one of them. They've pledged to get to net zero um, by 2030. Um, and to use 100% renewable energy by 2022. So there is like, it could be greenwash for some of these companies, but there is sort of somewhat of a push to reduce the emissions in even the sort of big mega Well, if they're more efficient, you would think it would be cheaper to produce product, right? I'm, or am I crazy? <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about that, right? Like, if you're spending less on your electricity bill, then that works out for everybody, really. Uh, so yeah, the other thing, I didn't find a whole lot about this, but um, waste in the beer industry is also a thing, as it is with all industries. So there are basically three different sources of food waste from barley from beer production. And the first one is barley straw, the second one is malt waste, and the third is spent grain. Um, I know that the brewery that I purchased my beer from for today, they actually give their spent grain to a local farm. So I think that's a fairly common practice amongst craft breweries. Um, certainly not something all of them do, but the ones that have sort of like an environmental, like that are environmentally conscious will, will do that because it sort of benefits them. They're getting rid of a product they don't have any use for. Sort of a win-win situation, you know? Yeah. Um, so there are kind of two debates in the environmental beer area. So the first one is like, is it better to go with a big or a small brewery? And it's important to note just off the top that like about half of the emissions impact of brewing beer comes from indirect sources. So like to a certain extent, that is influenced by all these other factors, right? You know, where is the barley that whichever brewery you're getting it from is getting their barley from how far is that being transported and how are the bottles being produced those are all things that whether it's like a molson brewery or like a tiny local microbrewery with two employees like it that might differ or it might be the same or like 
what kind of fertilizer are they using and how efficient are their machines? And mm -hmm. like you could be using that the land area and resources that that is being put towards alcohol. You could use that towards like food. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? <laughs> totally. So just with that caveat in mind that there are like all these indirect sources that might influence the emissions of a particular brewery that don't have anything to do with its size. Um, in general, large breweries are more greenhouse gas efficient than small ones because of those economies of scale we talked about. So the carbon footprint per liter of beer was more than double for craft breweries versus industrial produ production, according to a study that was done in Italy. I'm not sure to what extent that's, that finding holds across all different breweries, but the logic sort of supports it, right? A bigger brewery, you can be more efficient, um, whereas a smaller one, there are just certain economies of scale you may not necessarily be able to take advantage of. So this is off topic, um, and it's because, honestly, that gin has just gone straight to my head. But <laughs> shout out to, like, wine and other alcohols that don't need to be heated in, in the in the process of their production. So that saves a lot of energy as well. Although, I, I don't know, the little... I ended up not doing that much research on wine, but the little Googling that I did suggested it's also a minefield, so we may have to do an episode on it. <laughs> just on wine? <laughs> oh no, wine. I was trying to be positive I and I accidentally was wrong. <laughs> no, you weren't at all, but like, um, I just remember going through it and thinking like, holy shit, there are all these sources about labor abuses and I need to look into this later, but... <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I know. Uh... Yes, um, everything is awful. So yeah, I looked at I looked at one more debate in the environment and beer section, and that was, should you buy beer that is in cans or bottles? Uh, so, do you have like an instinct on which is better? Um, um, I should know the answer because I think <laughs> I read it earlier today, but I honestly, I, I have no idea. I feel like cans are like. 95% recyclable or something like that. So maybe I'll say I can, unless I'm just making up statistics. <laughs> <laughs> so like they both can be recycled to um, a certain extent. But yeah, aluminum cans can be recycled um, slightly more efficient efficiently than glass. Yes. However, oh, no. if you're Canadian and you're buying Canadian beer, glass bottles are better. Um, and I'll tell you why. Yes, please. It's because of a little deal that uh, in 1992 was made between Labatt and Molson back when they were separate. Where have you ever seen? Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the times glass beer bottles in Canada will look the same. I will notice from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I always kind of noticed that. I was like, oh, it's, it's like this is kind of like what what a beer bottle looks like, you know. And there are some variations, but if you're looking at like your typical beer bottle. Uh, that is because it is the industry standard bottle, or ISB. Um, and basically, breweries can sign on to use industry standard bottles. And when they do that, um, basically, if you bring your the bottle once you've drunk it into the bottle depot, instead of sending it for recycling, they'll send it back to breweries washed and cleaned, and then that can be reused. That's cool. I think it's super cool. Um, so... Basically, these industry standard bottles, uh, there's a really high retention rate for it because we have a levy in most places on, and most places in Canada on 
like there's a there's a bottle charge and you get that returned if you go back to the depot. Um, and they're used, they're refilled a, an average of 15 times. So that's pretty substantial, I would say. That's a lot, actually. Yeah. So um, so they get cleaned, they get refilled about 15 times, and then eventually they, they do sort of go to recycling. Um, and then that, of course, is less efficient than refilling and washing. But first, you get to use them uh, a number of times. So yeah, it's kind of neat. There are around 50 Canadian breweries that are participating in this program. And that includes the beer that I'm drinking, which is Alley Cat, and it's a microbrewery. Huzzah! But it also includes, yeah, it also includes Mosa and Coors, though. So if you're drinking from sort of like big beer in Canada, most likely you're drinking from an industry standard bottle if you're buying a bottle. So you can feel pretty good And you're that. sharing spit with a stranger. <laughs> no, they wash it. Don't worry. <laughs> they wash it. <laughs> And in provinces where there's a levy for selling non-refillable containers, um, companies that sign on to this initiative don't have to pay that levy. So there's like an incentive for companies to be using these refillable bottles. So this is not a program that's unique to Canada, but um, the U.S. does have different programs like this, but it actually the uptake is pretty low there, um, whereas in Canada, it's really high. So recovery rate's about 97% in Canada. Um, and in the United States, it's like considerably lower. So there are some pluses and minuses with aluminum versus glass. So one downside is that there's quite a big environmental impact from mining bauxite, which is what's used to make aluminum. Um, so bauxite is often sourced from developing countries um, and it's usually strip mined, which is not a very um, environmentally friendly way to mine. Um, and then smelting the aluminum from the bauxite is incredibly energy intensive. So aluminum cans on the plus side are made with um, a fair amount of recycled material. It can be, I saw two different figures, one that said up to 70% um, and then another that said up to 40%. So you're getting some amount of recycled content oftentimes in aluminum cans, but still, even if it's a recycled a can that's made with recycled materials, probably more than half of it is coming from virgin aluminum, which is strip mined in developing countries. Right? So it has to be transported really far. Probably the human rights aren't very good. And definitely there's a human rights watch study in, uh, you know what, I don't remember the country, but there have been documented human rights abuses that go on in bauxite mines. So if you're buying an aluminum can, you do have to sort of contend with that. And in general, manufacturing an aluminum can is twice as energy intensive as making a similarly sized glass oh, bottle. Oh, so, so even though it's better for recycling, it still costs more to just make it to begin with. Yeah, it's less energy and um, it's more energy intensive to make, um, but it can be recycled slightly more efficiently, which is kind of an interesting um, distinction. So how do you choose? Which one's better? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's just glass um, in the Canadian context. Like if you're buying, if you're buying a Canadian beer that's produced within your province, get a glass bottle because it's more than likely that it's going to be an industry standard bottle. Um, and if it's not like try to find a, a brewery that uses an industry standard bottle, or if there's a brewery you love that won't use it, um, write them. I realize collective arts is not in this industry standard bottles group, um, and they also use plastic around the sides of their aluminum cans, which is really bad. So 
I think I will probably be writing them soon uh, because they should stop doing that. But if you're if you're looking at buying a beer that's like, like if you in Vancouver are trying to buy a beer from Newfoundland, uh, you may want to consider buying an aluminum can because um, aluminum cans are su- significantly lighter. So the shipping emissions is a lot lower than it is for glass bottles just because they're heavier. Whoa, but then, okay, so when it comes to breaking down over time, though, glass bottles would be better, right? Because aluminum doesn't break down? Because glass is just, I mean, you can get glass on a beach, right? And it's very, it's a natural thing, or am I crazy? Yeah, so like glass is made of silica, um, and it's less energy intensive to make, but, and I don't understand why, it it actually recycles less well, so... Really? You can recycle. Yeah, I know. I was surprised by that too, but aluminum cans are slightly more effective, or aluminum in general is slightly more effective at being recycled. So, can you compost glass? I assume not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't, don't compost your glass. I don't know anything <laughs> about glass. <laughs> but yeah, the, the environmental group, the David Suzuki Foundation, um, it essentially recommends that you use cans only if you're buying beer from far away. Otherwise, use glass bottles. Um, and that's slightly more complicated if you live outside Canada, but um, that is the thing. The other thing is you should try to avoid aluminum cans that have plastic sleeves because they become a huge issue in recycling. So these sleeves are often non-recyclable and sometimes it can be really difficult to separate them from the can. And so that in some cases can actually render the whole can non-recyclable and mean that it'll end up in landfill. Uh, So you really want to avoid that. Um, And it's, uh, it's frustrating because... The main users of plastic sleeves are actually craft breweries because the minimum order for printing on aluminum is usually too high for them. So if you're a craft brewery that produces like five different beers, you've got to kind of use a plastic sleeve because you can't, you don't have enough um, inventory to order um, plastic, to order it to be printed directly on aluminum. Whereas like a macro or like a mega brewery is not going to run into that same issue because they're producing Tons of beer every year. So yeah, the answer with the the cans versus uh, cans versus bottles. The answer is basically if you're in Canada, buy the industry standard bottle. If you're in the United States, buy an aluminum or steel cl- can that doesn't have a plastic cover. Um, either way, your emissions will be lower if you're buying something local because you don't have to transport it. Um, also, try refillable kegs or growlers if your local brewery allows it, because both of those are better than either the glass bottle or the glass or um, or the aluminum can option. Or truly, the most ethical choice is to not drink at all and save the planet. <laughs> Doing that, be a, be, be, oh, be a hero. <laughs> Consume nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I do want to give a small shout out to beer because um, beer. Although it is 80% of alcohol consumption by weight, it is only 62% of emissions. So it is slightly more emissions um, efficient than spirits or wine. So suck it, Kyla, and your gin. (laughs) (laughs) Savage. (laughs) I feel called out. But yeah, I found the same thing. I found that like, as a rule, the higher the alcohol content, the higher the carbon footprint. Is that is that not right? 
I mean, I didn't look into it that much. I basically just t- took this one stat. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I found on an article by Vice that basically beer has a lower carbon footprint than wine, which is itself lower than spirits. And yeah, a good rule of thumb is that the higher the alcohol content of a drink, the higher the carbon footprint per liter. So that's fun. You've basically covered what I have for environment as well, because a lot of it just comes down to how it's produced, what kind of, like I said, fertilizer, machinery, like crops. Um, I think I found that cider is like the greenest alcohol you can drink so if you're a if you're a cider person i mean it's just uh, kyla isn't absinthe the greenest <laughs> alcohol you can drink <laughs> no all right Kristen, I'll, I'll leave. <laughs> <laughs> show yourself out uh i from uh a, an article from the guardian Cider is just about as green as you can get mash up some apples squeeze the juice out barrel it up and then just leave it And uh, they go on to say that apple orchards provide a more sustainable habitat for wildlife than, say, a field of barley or hops. I don't know, probably. (laughs) It seems seems legit. Uh, But surely it all comes down to how intensively the farmer manages the acre of land. So, yeah, I like I never drink if I'm going to a place that serves beer, I always get cider. um, So I can feel pretty good about that. So. Shout out to wine one more time, other than obviously in the labor side of things, which I did not look into. We we didn't really look into wine too much for this episode because it feels like it could be its own thing. And we're going to talk about it in the vegetarian vegetarianism episode. Words are hard. But I found that from a very distinguished website called blueandgreentomorrow.com. <laughs> that actually sounds more <laughs> legit than the other ones you've said. <laughs> but, uh, quote, overall, the impact of a single bottle of wine on the environment isn't substantial. There are ways to improve the industry, such as using lightweight bottles, organic fertilizers, and streamlined distribution methods, but the industry is doing all right. So, And I feel like that's true of what you were talking about with beer as well. Yeah, definitely. So the last thing I would want to talk about in the environmentalism side of things is not really environmental at all, but uh, the brief little thing I have about animal rights, even though we said we wouldn't really go into it, is that beer and wine can be processed using animal products, which we will go into in our next episode. But virtually every brand of hard liquor, bourbon, whiskey, vodka, gin, and rum is vegan. So if you're a vegan... Oh my gosh, that makes my Veganuary so much easier. Yeah, just, do a, just do a shot of bourbon every time you want to have a glass of beer or wine. <laughs> Except for obviously cream-based like liqueurs that or any product that has honey on the label. Uh, some rim, rums and whiskeys contain honey, but... What, you're telling me mead is a <laughs> Usually if... Honey is being used in a product. It's in the name, which is pretty convenient. And that's that's from vegan.com, which I'm going to be using a lot in Veganuary. <laughs> <laughs> so that's everything that I really had about environment to add into what you were saying. So I guess you wanted to go on to what you found about labor and, and beer? Yeah, I didn't find that much, to be totally honest. Um, so there's obviously the like 
the baggage on human rights from bauxite production. So if you're buying beer in aluminum cans, that's a thing. Um, but otherwise, I found it pretty tough to find out information on labor in the barley industry. Um, and I kind of looked up briefly unionization rates, and uh, it seems like there are actually a fair number of major beer companies that have unionized workers. So I found one site that said that all AB InBev beer that's made in the States is made by unionized workers. So AB InBev, just remember from an hour ago, uh, is uh, the biggest uh, multinational beer company in the world. Um, but for some of the other producers, it's a little more mixed and craft breweries, again, this is kind of like tricky because my instinct is to like the small local producers. And there are some reasons for that, but craft breweries are pretty rare in employing unionized workers. Um, although I think that trend's changing a little, there was, um, the first BC craft brewery to unionize was Gulf Island Brewery. And it did that in 2016. And the sort of suggestion was that probably that would start to, lead to more unionized craft breweries in the province, at least, if not across Canada. So so the thing that I wanted to talk about is a little bit more of a downer. So I wanted to look into how many people are employed by the alcohol industry. And I found a very questionable source from the Beer Serves America it's, it's basically a report that was prepared for the Beer Institute lobbying group, so biased, for sure, but I don't know that it's too far off. They found that each job in the brewing industry generates 31 additional full-time jobs in farming, manufacturing, wholesaling, retail, etc. Yeah, that seems like it would check out, actually. So the beer industry in the United States generated more than 2.1 million American jobs in dozens of industries. It's a big employer. From what I could find from, because I wanted to see how many people were employed in the industry in Canada, a report from the Conference Board of Canada says beer is a major driver of Canada's economy, supporting 163,200 jobs across the country. Canada's beer industry is disproportionately domestic, as you mentioned, compared to that of uh, that of other countries, which is fantastic. The report found that 85% of the beer consumed in Canada is produced here. I think maybe you mentioned that. Sorry if I'm repeating it. No, I don't think I said that. But yeah, it's a lot, <laughs> basically. But on the other side of this, and this is where my, this is where the ethics of beer and labor come in for me. So not so much not so much how people are being treated in the industry, but the health consequences of alcohol is something that I kind of looked into. So in 2012, about 3.3 million net deaths or 5.9% of all global deaths were uh, attributable to the alcohol consumption. Uh, there are significant sex differences in the proportion of alcohol deaths. Uh, for example, in 2012, 7.6% of deaths among males and 4% of deaths among females were attributable wow. to alcohol. So it's a big difference. That's from uh, the WHO website. So pretty solid source, finally, from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess if if 3.3 million people are dying every year, right – and in Canada, we're only supporting 163,000 jobs, and in the United States, they're only supporting 
2.1 million jobs. I mean, it doesn't account for the jobs in other countries, so probably more people are employed by the alcohol industry than are dying from it. But, okay, here's another way to look at it. The net income realized by provincial and territorial liquor authorities increased by 7% to $6.5 billion in 2016, 2017. So we're making like $6.5 billion from the liquor industry. And that's from StatCan Canada. So that's in Canada. When you look at the net income and other government revenue derived from the control and sale of alcoholic beverages, including taxes, retail sales taxes, different just different taxes and license and permit revenues, you're getting like $11.9 billion. And that's from the same source. So we're earning a lot of money and we're employing a lot of people, but we're also – a lot of people are dying because it's not – it's a very contentious topic to talk about the health issues related to alcohol. But if we're going to look at it just financially, I found a source from the ccsa.ca website that says basically $7.1 billion is lost in productivity due to disability and premature death from alcohol-related yeah. Yeah, sources, basically. Like, people are dying and and getting disabilities from alcohol and we're losing $7.1 billion. I guess from a purely utilitarian perspective, it's ethical because we're earning more oh money God, than God. we're losing. But also, <laughs> like, I don't know. I have a hard time. I have a hard time with these numbers. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? One of the categories that Ethical Consumer, my favorite website, <laughs> rates companies on um, that are beer producers is um, whether they follow like responsible alcohol advertising standards or not. And so maybe that's like a space where we could think about this critically in terms of what companies should be doing because substance abuse is, I mean, it's got really complicated links with like mental health and trauma and things like that and you know, I don't think that all alcohol is necessarily bad because it causes some substance abuse problems, but it maybe points to the fact that we should have sort of like a better policy structure around it or that um, companies should be more responsible in how they're advertising or something like that. I don't know. What a positive way to end this episode. Good job, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all you people listening to this on like December 31st as you're getting ready to go out for an Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So do you want to talk about your challenge? Did you did you or did you already cover it in in your points? No, I mean, um, I probably talked about a lot of similar things, but I haven't actually said what I did. So maybe I should. Okay, let's hear about your challenge. Yeah. So I tried to think, okay, I'm learning about the ethics of beer. What what can I do to try to buy an ethical beer alternative? And so I started with a brewery that I know and I like that is local in Edmonton. So I'm right now I'm back in Edmonton for the holidays. Usually I live in Toronto. Um, and Alley Cat is a brewery that I look forward to every time I'm here because you can't really get it outside of the province. Uh, and it's really good beer. One of the things I really like about them is that all of their beer is vegan. So... Um, you don't really have to worry about those animal products being used to sort of filter the beer. Alley Cat also, um, it's relatively efficient in terms of their water production relative to the size of the brewery. So they say on their website that they use 4.5 liters of water per one liter of beer. So that's 
slightly below that norm that I talked about earlier. Um, and they also, as I mentioned before, give their spent grain to a local farm. So I like all of those things. Um, and I thought, well, okay, what if I try something refillable? Because I know there are some breweries that will allow you to sort of rent a keg or um, will do a refill program. And so I emailed a bunch of breweries in uh, Edmonton and only Alley Cat and one other brewery called uh, Situation Beer got back to me. And uh, both of them said, yeah, of course, um, we've got refillables. So I went into Alley Cat and got uh, sort of a growler, which is 32 ounces of beer. And I got that tapped. And basically what I'm going to do is just refill it over the holidays as I'm using beer. So I'll just go back in. The one thing I'm kind of questioning, though, is <laughs> I have to drive to get to this tap room. So it's kind of nice because I end up being near the brewery already because I it's right near a rock climbing gym that I go to in the city. But otherwise, like, I'm not sure how that would end up going if I, you know, because I have to drive into the city from the suburb. Oh, the emissions of your car, Kristen. Yeah, vers- and I'm doing it in an SUV because that's what my parents have. Um, and so like, does that offset the growler, <laughs> especially given that I could just go to a liquor store and pick up Alley Cat's bottles in the industry standard bottles and then bring them into the bottle depot and they'd get reused again anyway. Interesting. Did, so did you look into that? What? Uh, well, no, but I think I think probably it would be better, it seems like, because it, it seems like it'd be more energy efficient to use a big truck to transport a bunch of bottles of beer rather than me going in my SUV alone to transport one growler, you know? I didn't specifically do the math on that, but <laughs> the logic seems to work out there. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, I thought it was this sort of cool and ethical choice, but um, but maybe it would have been better for me to just buy Alley Cat and their industry standard bottles. I don't know. Well, you're going there for the gym anyway, so you're all good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. So yeah, that was my challenge. I bought a growler. Okay, so do you want to know what I did for my challenge? <laughs> yeah, what you do? I feel like maybe I copped out a little bit on this because I did I didn't have very much time. But I decided instead of doing an alcohol themed challenge, I would write myself a few I was going to write 12 New Year's resolutions, one for each month of next year. Wow. But I didn't do that. I wrote 5. <laughs> <laughs> so you're good through to May. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just do one for every 2 months and I'm good until basically next year. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm going to here. So here are my New Year's re- resolutions. I never really do New Year's resolutions. Do you? Uh, no, although um, I have a friend who um, instead of doing New Year's resolutions, he basically writes a corporate mission statement for himself every year. And I think I'm going to start doing that from now on because it sounds fun. <laughs> I have two guesses as to who that is, but we're, we're, we won't call out any of your friends. On <laughs> <show>. <laughs> but it's only one of two of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my mission statement, I guess, for next year. <laughs> uh, number one, I want to eat vegan six days a week. Nice. Except for in January, when I'm obviously <laughs> going to do it for a month. Then you get some free days the rest of the year. Yes, that's how I'll math it out for sure. <laughs> I love me my chocolate milk. Although every time I drink chocolate milk, I feel really bad about myself. So maybe I should just... Honestly, like chocolate soy milk is just as good. That's true. Actually, number two on my list is literally no more dairy. So wow, I don't know how that's going to go for me, honestly. <laughs> but I bought some vegan <laughs> cheese the other day that I haven't tried yet. So fingers crossed. Obviously, number three is I'm only going to buy cruelty-free from now on. So that's an Mm. easy one, I hope. I like it. 
Number four, I'm only going to buy natural fiber clothing and I'm only going to buy clothes when I really need them. And I'm going to try and only get secondhand clothes when possible, which I already kind of do. I don't buy a lot of new stuff, but I'm going to make an effort to not buy anything that is made of polyester or acrylic or other non-natural fibers. And I think the most, uh, so this is my final one. The the best one I think that I came up with is I want to talk to my MP more. I want to be that person. <laughs> They're like, oh, Kyla's calling again. So who is your MP? Do you know? Is, yes, I do know. <laughs> he is a liberal. He is a young liberal with a baby who, and I forget his name, but I will know it very soon. I did know it for the election, but I didn't <laughs> vote for him. I voted green. Oops, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I voted green. They'd lose all. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my challenge. That's my New Year's resolutions. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? Uh, so I did not write New Year's resolutions, although I do want to say I like um, I like that your last one was like slightly political because I think so it's really important that we do an ethical consumption podcast <laughs> like that. That's a really important thing and changing your personal lifestyles do make a difference. But as we've we've seen in all of the episodes so far, and I'm sure in all future episodes, some of the major changes really can't be made just by those personal consumption choices alone. It has to be sort of policy solutions that are made by governments at different levels. So ultimately, if you're trying to be a good consumer, that also means that you have to be politically active. So you have to write letters to your, could be your MP, could be your mayor or your local counselor. You've got to go out and support protests for, you know, things that matter to you and sign petitions and all of those things make a difference. And ultimately, those sort of policy solutions can be even more impactful than the personal consumption choices that you're making, because they allow us to sort of coordinate as a society, you know, exactly. And that is something that I really drop the ball on. I have not ever talked to my MP, <laughs> I don't think except for maybe once in high school when we had to do it as a project. I don't go to rallies. I sign petitions for Greenpeace sometimes, but they email them to me. It's not like it's hard. You know what I mean? So that's something I really want to try and be better at next year is to be even it's not hard to be more political than I am because right now, my political activism is non existent. <laughs> so it's very easy to improve. Yeah, I think I'm going to try to come up with some uh, off the cuff New Year's resolutions. Just let me think for a second. So I think I'd like to get as close to waste-free as I can possibly get. And uh, that means, so last year, I think I started to take some of the low-hanging fruit off. Like, I switched to waste-free makeup remover and stuff like that. But I think this year, it's going to be making some of those harder changes. Like, you know, finding dish or dish soap or laundry soap that doesn't come in a container and things like that. So that's going to be one of mine. It's just finding new waste-free solutions for some of the stuff that have intimidated me in the past. That's a great resolution. I don't think you need to come up with more. I think that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, and I also think like I echo some of your other ones, you know, like I mean, we'll see what happens in Veganuary, but my aim going into that is to set up practices that will allow me to be vegan going forward. We'll see if that happens. I think I'd also like to um to actually stop giving Amazon money. We'll see how that goes, but cuz they own everything. I know. And I mean, I have stopped like buying stuff online as much, but I still do go into Whole Foods occasionally and they're owned by Amazon. And also, I have Amazon Prime still because 
Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is just such a good show, and I need to see the third <laughs> season before I cancel it. <laughs> so I'll just binge watch it before January 1st and then <laughs> cancel it. Perfect. All right. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year. Um, We can maybe hold ourselves accountable next year, see whether we've done any of these things. Let's all try to be a little bit better next year than we were this year. Yeah, and also just like remember that failing is okay. That it's like a necessary part of the process. Yeah, that's really nice. And since we're on like a really nice <laughs> part of our episode, I want to shout out a supportive friend that we started doing last week. I want to Woo. I want to shout out Dave. He's one of my very best friends. He lives in London. He is Irish and he has been super supportive. Every time I talk to him, he talks about how much he loves this podcast and how great our work is. And I would love to get more constructive feedback, but also it's super nice to hear really positive stuff. It sustains us. So thank you, Dave, for always (laughs) calling me and being a supportive friend. Is there anyone you want to shout out? Yes. Um, So I would like to shout out uh, Bianca because she pointed out to us a a volume issue in one of our previous episodes. That I am not going to fix, but also it's nice (laughs) to know. But no, I think it takes, um, it's really great to have supportive listeners, but it also takes a special courage for like friends to point out errors because sometimes you as a friend might not know how the person that's receiving the criticism will react. And for us, like, we're just trying to get better as we go. So we love to hear this kind of stuff because the whole idea is, you know, we want to make the listener experience better and we only know what to improve by hearing what's wrong with the podcast. Exactly. Uh. Thank you, Bianca. (laughs) And thank you to everyone who's left a rating so far. Uh, We have quite a few, actually, um, surprisingly. Uh, And if anybody wants to leave us more, please do. (laughs) The more reviews you leave, the more likely it is that we will no longer be have Jordan Peterson on like what you might also like on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my god, yes. It's like my yes, single exactly. person uh, crusade to not have our podcast recommend Jordan Peterson because we're not for that. That's truly our New Year's resolution. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Okay, so starting from next year, we're going to be going to a bi-weekly release. So every two weeks you'll get a new episode. And as we've repeatedly mentioned this episode, our next one <laughs> is going to be about vegetarianism. And then at the end of January, we're going to be discussing how we did with Veganuary. So if you want to do this challenge with us, please do. We'll post some stuff on Twitter to help with anybody who wants to follow that challenge with us. All right. Sounds great. Great. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you next week in 2020. Catch you next year. Ah, that's never a joke. (laughs) All right. Bye. A straight whiskey is made from the distillate produced by one operation of a... No, that's boring. I'm going to stop talking about it. (laughs) Darker spirits are not as interesting as clear spirits. And I'll just link to this if anybody wants to know where (laughs) darker stuff comes from. Dark spirits, you're boring. (laughs) Yeah.